So Money episode 144, Nagina Sethi Abdullah. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Today's guest is my friend, Nagina Sethi Abdullah. She is a management consultant, weight loss, and food coach, and founder of Masala Body. It's an online resource for healthy recipes and weight loss tips for the busy working woman. And I have been to one of her cooking events, and I have to say, for someone who more or less just knows how to boil water, make cereal, and scrambled eggs... Um, I learned several great recipes uh, from Nagina and really, really easy ones, super healthy ones. I was so inspired when I left that evening and I got to meet some amazing women as, as well. So she is really developing an amazing community around nutrition and food and healthy living. And I'm so, so excited for her and, and all that is to come. Now, this business actually was born out of a personal need for Nagina, as so often we find ourselves creating businesses because we personally are in need of something. And Nagina was looking for a way to lose her baby fat, to lose her baby weight, eat right, and maintain that sense of energy and and healthfulness after her pregnancy. So using the recipes and the resources that she shares on Masala Body, she actually lost herself an astonishing 40 pounds. Nagita understands that professional women often don't have the time, frankly, to spend hours at the gym or devote to dieting. She created Masala Body to help ambitious women tweak and update their routines to lose weight and stay healthy. During our time together, we learn how she started her business on the side while maintaining a full-time job, full-time, and I'm talking big job. I mean, she's a management consultant for a big firm, and on top of that, she is you know, a mom and a wife, and she successfully launched a business on the side. How did she do it? The behavioral psychology that has led to her career success, the financial failure that she experienced in the real estate market back in the early 2000s, um, as many of us did, and I couldn't let her go without some nutritional advice, some health advice, how we can all get on the path towards healthier living, healthier eating, one small step at a time. She has some really great advice for us. Without further ado, here is Nagina Sethi Abdullah. Nagina, welcome to So Money. I'm so excited to have you on this show. It's been a while since we've connected, but I'm, I'm looking forward to catching up. Thank you, Farnoosh. I'm so excited to be here. Nagina, I, you're, I bow to you. You know, you are a mother of two, management consultant. You're um, very, very busy in your day job. Um, on a, in, and in addition to this, you have launched um, the what is the beginnings of it? I think going to be extremely successful online um, coaching business and coaching practice for yourself. So a lot of my listeners are very, very interested in becoming their own bosses, being entrepreneurial, leveraging the internet, mastering a skill. And so I'd love to start with how you made this, not even a transition, because you're really doing all these things at once, like how you are really figuring out how to do your full-time job and this side business for now, which I know is going to explode. But I mean, how do you, how did Masala Body 
come about? Like, what was the genesis for that? And then how do you integrate this into your life right now? Yeah, well, Masala Body, uh, it came about because I had actually personally struggled with weight loss through my entire life. And I'd always felt like I needed to spend three hours a day in the gym, multiple days a week. And every time I did that, I still didn't really get results. So I would kept kept yo-yoing up and down. And um, in my 30s, I had my um, I had two kids. Um, and after my second, who's who's now she's four and a half and my son is five and a half. Um, um, after I had my daughter, I really wanted to feel like myself again. I was at a, a whole new place where I just, none of my clothes fit. I didn't have any energy. I really was lacking in confidence because I was so tired and I just desperately wanted to feel like myself again. So I started reading a lot of nutritional books because I wanted to go down that route with my busy life um, as a management consultant with kids. Now I knew I wouldn't be able to spend those hours in the gym. So I learned a lot of different nutritional concepts and I applied them. And shockingly, it's like my weight just dropped down and I lost 10 pounds in one month. Um, and then I went on to lose 40 pounds in less than nine months. And it really transformed my life where I started just feeling so much confidence. I had all of this energy to go to work and then come home and take my kids to the park um, and play with their friends. And it was just so amazing the feeling that I got. Um, and, and it, it just so much energy and all my clothes fit all of a sudden I could wear these fitted dresses that I dreamed of wearing my entire life. And it just really helped my, you know, my whole entire life. And so a lot of people started asking me what I was doing and I had actually modified a lot of the recipes I had grown up with. And, um, and there were a lot of, they were really flavorful and spicy and I liked that. And so I modified them just to be healthier. And so I would give all of these people, um, all of these um, women that were asking, I would give them my recipes and shockingly, they would do nothing with them. Like I felt like I was giving them the answer to my pro, you know, to, to their problems, but they wouldn't do anything about it. And so I really um, learned over time about the psychology of, of, of changing behavior. And I learned that I couldn't tell somebody everything to do all at once. I had to tell them step by step. And, um, and I started doing that and people started responding to me and they started actually making changes and you know, go ahead. No. So I love this story because it's like, first you just started to lose weight for yourself because you wanted to get healthier and that not only out of that was born a business idea, but you had this energy to pursue the business idea, right? It's sort of like a very rewarding, um, a rewarding accomplishment in many ways. Yes, definitely. Because it really touched me emotionally, what happened to me and how everything changed. And I really wanted to share it with other people. And the only thing that was stopping me was that people weren't listening to me because I would tell them, but they just wouldn't listen. And then I realized I just had to shift the way that I was telling them. And when I did that, I started studying the psychology of, of, of changing behavior. Then people really started uh, responding. And that's when I decided to start my website, masalabody.com. And I started documenting my recipes. I started, I talked about my experiences and, um, and I really, um, related to people through my stories. And when I talked about my stories, people like really wanted to read and learn more versus me telling them eat this number of calories or eat this many fat grams a day. I mean, that's so boring. People didn't respond to that. 
And you would do this in your spare time? Like, when did you find time to do this? <laughs> Can you please help me? Because I have one baby and you have two and you have this very, very demanding full-time day job. So when were you documenting everything and, and writing to your email and you've, bu- you've built an online community? So how did all of this find itself, find time for that? I definitely did it over time. I did a little bit every week and I just knew that I needed to keep building in one direction. And, um, I kind of had a vision because I've seen online businesses and I've seen how much they flourished and I knew what was possible. So I knew even if it took me time to do it, I, as long as I took small steps, I would do it. So in the very beginning, what I did is I had a project where I wanted to document all my recipes and make a recipe book. So that was my first project. I had something tangible I wanted to work towards. And it took me almost a year to do that. But once I had all of my recipes documented and I really did it when I was cooking anyway, I was cooking anyway. So I would just write down my recipes um, and then I would take pictures of them. And within a year I had a recipe book. And then the year after that, I started leveraging that um, those recipes for my blog posts and now for my coaching program. And so it's just a little, it's like I took steps. So it 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 definitely hasn't happened overnight. It's been over several years, but um, things keep growing and adding up as long as I'm building in one direction. That's a huge tip. You documented something. I think that's a great tip for anyone listening, whether you're interested in pursuing nutrition or uh, frankly, any, any sort of, you know, self-help sector. If you've got a skill, you want to teach it, you have something you want to coach, Get something written down, whether it's an, a small ebook or a tip sheet, or because as you said, you can really leverage that. Not only is that a great resource for you to refer to, but it's something you can give away. It becomes quite the ultimate resume, uh, business card in some ways. Yeah, I agree. I think that was one of the key things I did that helped me get momentum because I wasn't just doing something abstract and researching or looking online for what to do. I actually built something. And even though, you know, it went on to evolve and I, it wasn't exactly, I don't use it in the form that I created it, but I, I, I had the, I, I had the confidence that I had built something and I saw it and it gave me the momentum to keep going. Awesome. And so currently you have nine clients, which is you went, when I met you about less than a year ago, you had one client <laughs> so you went from yes. one client to nine clients. And you've recently launched ten, lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks. It's a, it's a very um, kind of uh, intimate group, just mm-hmm. a few people. Um, tell us the success stories. This is really changing people's lives. But I have to say like when you lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks, how do you maintain that weight loss. Yeah, definitely. No, and you know, all of that. So, so let me tell you a little bit about, um, the program and, my, and the success with it is that sometimes everybody can, they can really only, um, bite off. They can only really commit to 10 pounds at a time, or it's easy to commit to, to losing 10 pounds versus I want to lose 40 pounds or I want to lose 30 pounds. It's a bigger, it's something, it's a bigger issue. So I, I launched my program, lose 10 pounds in 10 weeks, which I think worked well because it was a bite size. It was something people could actually grab onto. And, um, and you know, the program, I, all of my clients, they have 
um, really demanding jobs. They're management consultants, they're marketing professionals, they're directors at banks, and they were really concerned that they didn't have enough time to, to lose weight or that they just it just wasn't possible for them to. But with the structure and accountability and motivation and just specific guidance on what to do, what to eat, and, and decisions to make, um, some of my clients, they lost 12 pounds in five weeks and, you know, eight pounds in, in six weeks, you know, depending on the person and they're just going on to, they're just going on to lose more. And so along the way, this program, I've really used the psychology I learned where I, I build every week, we learn something different. So in the first week, you know, they might do something that seems a little bit of a stretch, but it's not that much. And then they get that down. And then the next week, they're able to add something onto it. So by week four, they look back and they just can't even believe how much their eating habits have drastically changed. But it didn't seem hard because it was a step by step process. And so, you know, keeping their weight off, part of it is that they've learned they've actually integrated habits during the 10 weeks um, that they that they will learn it's not it's not a crash course and it's not doing anything completely differently it's they're they're doing things they they, sh- they can continue to do um, and so they can carry that on but I always believe in you know really having accountability um, having some source of accountability all the time especially for eating and for fitness because it's very emotional and it can easily go to the wayside depending on your schedule um but if you have somebody that you're accountable to and i have somebody that i'm accountable to i have a coach myself who and that's why it's easier for me to stay fit because i just i know i have to answer to somebody (laughs) yes what are the resources that you use to learn about behavioral psychology can you give us a couple of recommendations um, well, I read, um, I mean, I read different, you know, some of the books I've read, um, like the power of habit is, is just an amazing book that has really helped me see how important it is to create those habits. Um, and you know, I also, um, read several blogs like Ramit's Satie's I will teach you to be rich, which talks a lot about psychology. I think that's one of the best places and one of the um, places that I've learned a ton of information. What was it like growing up with Ramit? Was he always analytical? <laughs> Ramit? He, um, it's so funny because, um, he would always be sitting at his computer, um, like day from morning till night. And we lived in a two story house and I would always be coming up the stairs. He would, his room was right at the top of the stairs. And I just constantly remember seeing his profile and seeing him sit in front of the computer. And I would ask him, Ramit, what are you doing? Like, I didn't understand what could happen on that computer for so many hours, but he was just experimenting with it, doing different things. And, um, so he was always really into, into that, but he was, um, he was really, he's always, he's the, he's like the peacemaker in our family. He, um, you know, my sister and myself and my mom, we are like, we are typical women. We are, you know, in a, in a very stereotypical way, like we're emotional. We will, we will say things loudly and Ramit comes in and everything is, we all feel at ease. He, he never <laughs> takes sides and he just smooths everything over. So it's really nice to have him around. Oh, wow. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and folks, Ramith was on this, uh, our podcast. It was episode 85. So I'm very honored to have now two Sethis in the house, in the So Money house. And I know all your siblings are super accomplished. Your parents must be beyond uh, proud and beside themselves. What a great gift you guys have been giving them all these years. <laughs> Thank um, you so much. Yeah. So now... You're, uh, we, I brought you on the show, Nagina, and, and I know that, um, our listeners are 
very curious to hear more about maybe your financial perspectives on things. Um, I think it's interesting whenever I have guests on that, uh, that, that are very healthy and, and have, uh, and, you know, have businesses built around fitness and health. It's not a coincidence that they also are very, very, um, disciplined and forward thinking about their finances. I think health and wealth go hand in hand. So with that, I'd love to know, Nagina, what is your financial philosophy or your money mantra that helps guide your, your financial life? Yeah, and this my my financial mantra is something that's evolved as I've um, as I've gotten older and I've learned more. And, and you know, now I really think about how what I'm buying will help me, and I don't focus on cost only. And you know, this is really different from when I was growing up, where I th- always was thinking about how much things cost. And that was the primary reason for my decision. And I felt like I really held myself back from becoming the person I could be because I was always so focused on cost. Um, and I have a, a little story that could be helpful. Yeah, to- I love an example. Okay. So when I first met my husband, um, we went shopping together and I kept looking at your the first price. date. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I wish that would have been a nice husband likes to shop date. though, right? He, like, he, he does like to shop. He, he's really good at shopping. I actually asked him to pick out a lot of my clothes cause he's just better at it than I am. So yes. <laughs> wow. He gets so many, so many brownie points. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So we went shopping and my, um, my instinct was always to grab the price tag whenever I would see, uh, see any clothing, I'd grab the price tag and I would look at it and I would just see how much it was. And I did this over and over with about 10 different shirts before even taking the shirt off the hanger or taking it off the rack. And he looked at me and he said, Nagina, do you like that shirt? Like, are you going to wear that shirt? And that actually made me stop for, for a moment and really stare at him in shock because I actually hadn't thought about that. I really was thinking about, am I getting a good deal for this shirt? You know, am I going to be able to walk out and say, oh my God, I got this shirt for $14.99, you know? And he was saying, it doesn't have to only matter if it's a cheap or if it's a deal, are you going to wear it? And, you know, that was just a totally different way of looking at buying than I had before. And I realized then, you know, why my closet was stuffed with all of these clothes that I didn't even like. And I felt like I never had anything to wear because I wasn't focused on what I was getting. I was just focused on the cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I, I think about the value so much more and I don't feel guilty about spending money when I think it's the right thing. And so, um, you know, a few months ago, I took my two kids skiing for the first time and, you know, relatively speaking, um, skiing lessons for two kids, plus renting equipment and lift tickets, it can really get up there. It can be on the expensive side. And, um, you know, there's a lot of other things you could do with that money, but I didn't even blink when, when we did this, I didn't even think about it. I just gave them my credit card because for me, it's a core value of mine for my kids to learn sports like skiing at an early age when it's easier for them. And I'd rather invest the money in there, you know, in them learning now than them struggling and having it be a little harder later on. And so I really just focused on what they were getting and the money didn't matter to me. And I didn't want to hold them back because of the cost. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, and I, I would bet that back to your closet, you probably have not only things that you like more, but you probably don't have as many things, right? Because I mean, you just are actually wearing what you enjoy and or you're wearing what you like. And so you don't have a closet full of just like senseless items that you, you know, you can say, Oh, well, I spent 14.99 on it, but then, you know, you never wore it. The tag is still on it. 
Exactly. I do. That's so right. I have, I do not have as many clothes, but every time I wear those clothes, I feel great in them. And they, you know, they look much better than the other, than the other, you know, 10 shirts that were cheaper. I could have got for that one shirt, but I prefer, I prefer it this way. Mm-hmm. No, that's so. so smart. It's kind of, uh, as you say, you know, cost, think about cost per wear, you know, something might be a hundred dollars, but if you're going to wear it you know, every week, and it's going to be a staple in your closet and it's going to wear well and it's not going to wrinkle, you know, and you have to go dry clean it every two seconds, then it might be a good investment. Yeah, exactly. And and this has really come into play as I've been building my business because I am not afraid to invest in um, in business coaches or in um, in training courses that are that are quite expensive, but actually propel me so much further forward than I could have done on my own because I really just focus on what I'm going to get out of it. And and I know that I'll recoup the, the investment in some way that'll be worth it. Absolutely. Well, you shared already a little bit about growing up and you were raised, I believe, on the West Coast in uh, Northern California. Mm-hmm. Yep. How was your perspective on money shaped as a kid? What would you say is your number one money memory growing up in the safety household? Um, I would say, you know, that, um, not really giving generously and not being attached to money, like not, um, holding on to it so tight. And so when we were younger, we always used to go on family trips and we always stayed with family friends. That was kind of how we were able to go on vacation with four kids, um, in a middle-class family. And before leaving all of these family friends homes, all of, all of them, they would always give, uh, us kids money as a gift uh, and appreciation. And whenever we had guests come to our home, my parents would do the same for them. And that was just really um, a little lesson that I started seeing and started learning that just to give, you know, give something whenever someone comes or whenever you can. And I just, you know, I learned not to count pennies, especially in giving. Hmm. So um, that's interesting. So there were no actual, there were no other gifts, but money. There would no, there would be, there would be gifts too. Like people would bring gifts, but it was very common to give money. I mean, there, there would be sometimes people would go and buy something personal, but money was very, it was a very common thing to give. And were you supposed to do something very specific with that money or you could spend it as you liked or did your parents insist that you saved all of it? Well, my parents were big on saving, but they would, they would tell us that we could do whatever we wanted with it. But there was always kind of a, there was always definitely a, um, like an underlying (laughs) teaching about saving your money and letting it add up. And so, yes, saving was a big thing in our, in our, um, when I grew up. Is that, was that just your culture or do you think that's pretty uh, common within the Indian culture? I think that's very common in the Indian culture. That's just um, like in terms of saving money, not necessarily spending it. And that um, just making sure that you're safe, making sure that you can like save it to buy something that is really valuable and is really big. And and part of that, you know, I do agree with uh, obviously the concept of saving, but I've also learned to actually value the concept of spending mm-hmm. when it's the right way to spend. Well, along the way, maybe you made some missteps with your money. And, and I'd love to hear about one f- episode of uh, that you might classify as a financial failure, Nagino, something that, you know, a, a decision that went wrong or an oversight some of some sort, big or small. Okay. Well, I had a huge financial fail in my 20s that this might be, you might be even surprised to hear about this. Um, so in the early 2000s, as you, as you know, the real estate market was booming. 
And um, especially in places where I grew up, where I grew up in Sacramento and I also grew up in Arizona. So those were two extremely high growth markets that I knew very well because I was from there and my family still lived in Sacramento. Um, And so I didn't know much about real estate, but I kept seeing the prices go higher and higher. And it was so exciting. And I kept thinking if I didn't get in now, I wouldn't be able to afford a home later on since the prices were increasing so quickly. And I had these dreams of getting rich quickly and being able to be a success story at an early age. Um, So I bought my first house at the age of 24. And um, it was possible because there was there was a lot of programs where you could put, um, you know, different amounts of money down. And then my income as a consultant, it was good enough to qualify for a loan. So it was it wasn't hard to buy a home. Um, And I was right about the market. Initially, the house went up incredibly fast in value. It went up over 200,000 in the first year that I had it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was amazing. And so instead of keeping what I had or selling it and making a profit and just being happy with what I had, I kept thinking like this house will go up. It'll go up higher and higher and that I should take advantage of the equity I had made in the house. And so what I actually did is that I purchased another house with the equity I had made. And then I bought actually a couple more after that in different high. I am markets. surprised. Keep going. <laughs> I didn't know you had this in your closet. The skeleton. <laughs> Tell yes, me how definitely. it, I want to know how it ends. <laughs> or do it I? It, it's definitely under the financial fail. Okay. So it doesn't <laughs> end good. Let's just say that it doesn't. So I didn't, you know, I didn't understand what I was doing and I didn't look at the downside of what could have happened. I was just so thrilled by the upside. And so about a year later, the market started crashing And all of the value of my homes came down and it didn't make any sense for me to keep them. So I managed, thankfully, to sell them, which was actually hard to do. It was even hard to sell and like release yourself of real estate at that time. But I was able to let go of all of them without creating too much damage. But it did take a lot of time to get out of those homes. And I did lose money. I, I, you know, it wasn't it wasn't the situation I had thought of or the situation I had been in a year ago a year prior. And so I realized the get rich quick scheme also means you could get poor quick too. And so, <laughs> Cause you did get rich quick and then you got poor even. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. I oh, got, no. I got rich on paper for a moment, rich, you know, in quotation marks. Um, so, I mean, the thing is like this experience, it was painful when I went through it, but it really has helped me. And I really learned the, you know, in the hard way to understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And also to see that there's a downside risk that I take into account now. It's not always roses everywhere. So was there anyone in your circle saying to you, you know what, Nikita, maybe you shouldn't buy that third house. I'm yes. The person that was telling me that was Ramit. <laughs> <laughs> Ramit was the one person because everybody else in Sacramento um, was very excited about this boom. So everybody was involved in it. Everyone was doing it. I mean, everyone was in it. And so he was one person that was telling me and I kind of just ignored him at that time. Mm. And so now that he was right, obviously, I listen to Ramit a lot more now yes. because I see that he was right. right. <laughs> and wow. so, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, now it's like I'm building my business by learning the fundamentals now instead of just doing quick things and learning from the best people who have already done it. And I test everything I do on a small scale before investing a lot more into it. So I feel like no matter what, nobody can take my learnings away from me now. Perfect. I love it. And it's a, it's a get rich slower technique, but, uh, but 
but you'll get there. And I'm, I'm excited for your, your next steps. <laughs> How about a success, Nagina? Let's flip it. Okay. We talked about your housing burst. Um, <laughs> how about a time when you really had, you were like, I'm so money. This is awesome. What, what was that? What was that time like? And, and take us there. Okay. Um, okay. When I started my, uh, my coaching practice last year, I started, it's a premium coaching, coaching practice. So I really, um, you know, I, I treat my, my clients with the best service that I possibly can. And, um, and so I actually made significant additional income in my first year. And this was in addition to my full-time job. And so it was a win to see how quickly I could make money on my own and increase my income by myself versus depending on my salary to increase slowly every year. And then my bonus to make more money from my corporate job. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, I just made this really significant sum of money. And then now I can do something with tens of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when you say premium, what does that mean? So premium means, um, it means that like for some, like some examples are, you know, I really, like I always treat my clients with premium treatment. So I'll, whenever anyone signs up with me and they're from New York, I will take them out for our first conversation to a high end, really nice New York restaurant for our initial coaching conversation. Um, I send them lavish self care gifts that make them excited to take care of themselves. And, you know, I give them that premium treatment where they're, they're, they are usually somebody that is um, really busy. Like my clients are usually um, either owners of businesses, management consultants, bankers, um, doctors, and they, they're working really hard and they kind of like, they need that premium treatment and they need the one-on-one treatment that I give them. So I give them a one-on-one personalized care, but I add on to it with these, with this premium service. I love that. Can I, can I participate? (laughs) I had a baby and I, I have to say, I did, I think I'm back to my normal weight at this point, but you know, it's, it's a constant, the maintaining of it is is like a job. It's a full-time job. I had a bagel this morning for breakfast. Don't kill me. <sighs> well, I mornings. would ha- be happy to take you anytime for a new bed. You, you, uh, you're doing amazing already. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so, Nikita, what would you say is uh, your number one financial habit? And I know that we just talked so much about behavior being so important, psychology being so important, especially when it comes to weight loss. Uh, when it comes to your money, what would you say is your number one financial habit or technique? I definitely, um, you know, benefit so much from automating all of my bills and I pay for everything automatically. And I don't really spend that much time thinking about it. If I have a new bill, I just get it hooked up into my bank and so that it goes out automatically. Um, you know, that has been really key because a lot of times I would just miss payments, not because I didn't have the money, but just because I forgot about it. And, um, and I, I'd have to think about it so frequently. So that's been really helpful. And and, you know, it's also been helpful that I have a credit card that I get really great points for. Um, and I use, I pay for all my purchases on that. And I've been able to, you know, take my family on vacation with this, with these points mm-hmm. and take them, be able to go to California, you know, more often so that my kids can spend time with their grandparents and things like that. I love that. Uh, yeah, I, there's, there are some guests on this show that they, they say credit cards are, you know, they, they're they banned them from their financial lives. And I think that there is, there is a lot of, I guess, 
good to that in some ways. If you're somebody who needs to save, who's in debt, of course, you got to put those credit cards aside. But I'm with you. I like to rack up points. And I bought a laptop with my points. I've, I've gone to trips with my points. So I don't know. I feel like oh. there, there are benefits. There are pros and cons. But for me, it's mostly a benefit. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely if you're, you know, where you are in your, you know, in your, in your life and in your financial health. But if you're at a good place, it's actually a tool. It helps you increase your credit. I mean, it gives you a better credit mm-hmm. score if you are yeah. using your credit. But if you pay it off automatically every month, like I do, then, um, then there, you're never going to have a balance. You're not even paying interest on it. All you're doing is, is being able to leverage your money. Right. It's just a way to manage your money and, and leverage it, like you said. Mm-hmm. All right. Almost wrapped here and again. It's so much fun. Uh, this is so money. Fill in the blanks. Conclusion <laughs> to the show where we we just kind of you know kick off our shoes and have a little fun. And first thing that comes to your mind, finish the sentence. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is I would buy my mom and my mother in law a Mercedes, and I would buy my parents an apartment in New York. And the reason for this is because when we were growing up, my mom always said, I wish I had a Mercedes. That was like her only material really? wish. She went uh-huh. from, you know, pizza, like our eating out was only pizza. So she went from, not, you know, we went from that lifestyle. Her only desire was a Mercedes. That's all. <laughs> so it was like a really high desire. So I would definitely get her that, you know, just in a moment. And also for my mother-in-law, who is so amazing, has done so many great things for us. And, um, and you know, my siblings, we all grew up in California, but we all live on the East Coast and my parents are still on the West Coast and they like it there. I mean, they have lots of friends. It's a great um, it's great weather. But I I think they would love it if they had their like a place in New York where my mom could go to plays and have fun. And my dad would just kind of come along for the ride (laughs) and and then they could be closer. That's a great Idea. I think I would do the same thing. My parents also live in Northern California. My mom's actually visiting uh, now in New York, and uh, she keeps trying to pull me to the West Coast. It's not going to happen, Mom. It's just not. You know, I'm an East Coast girl, and I'm trying to pull her to the East Coast. And she, like your parents, you know, the weather's great. They have friends there. And I don't want to. You know, it's it's tough. It's, it's we're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But um, having maybe a pied a terre in, in in New York, they would probably visit more often. Yes, yes. I know. Um, the one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is my personal trainers. And that's with an, with, yeah, uh, I was like, what plural? Yes, that's a plural. <laughs> and so I have set up this system in my life because I was just, it was, it was really hard for me to get to the gym on my own with my schedule and with, I was traveling. And I found when I had a personal trainer at the gym that I had an appointment with that I was definitely going to get there no matter how busy I was. Cause I didn't want to mess up our appointment. I just like, I'm very into commitment. So I'll just follow through with my commitment. And, um, but I also have an online personal trainer who gives me my work Workouts, And she, she basically gives me my workout strategy. So she creates a new workout plan for me each week um, that keeps me moving further and further and getting like more toned. And, um, and so she, she does think she knows the combination of workouts. And then I take these workouts to my gym personal trainer and he helps me execute them with, with the right form, which is so important. You know, if you get the right form, you can just be so much more efficient with, with, with your workout. Wow. So 
So both of them, I need both of them to really keep me moving in new directions because my gym personal trainer didn't quite understand the strategy and how to do different workouts. And uh, he was just there for the 30 or 45 minutes I was with him. But now I have the online personal trainer who gives me that strategy and I execute with my other one. And I need both of them really for accountability, for motivation, and also to know I'm doing the right things and I'm not wasting my time. Is there anything you cannot do virtually anymore? I mean, you can literally be a physical trainer and do it virtually. Like just send people. (laughs) You can. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. That's brilliant. Um, My biggest guilty pleasure that I spend a lot of money on is. Okay. My, that would be uh, my biggest uh, guilty pleasure is fresh, great quality fish. And it sounds, I don't know if it sounds like it's that expensive, but it it is. It's pretty expensive when you add up by pound. And um, I'm a pescatarian, so the only meat that I eat is fish. So I eat a lot of fish. I mean, every day I eat a lot of fish. And um, and so it, it tastes so delicious, but the, it's like the macronutrients of fish are so amazing. It has zero carbs. 30 grams of protein in five ounces and really healthy fats. So my grocery bill is thousands of dollars higher each year because of this spending. Thousands? But yeah, thousands because every every week I'm buying a tremendous amount of fish. It's like I eat I eat three three pieces of fish a day. And it's all fresh fish. And so, um, and it's it's high quality. So I mean it can be anywhere Do you from eat fish for breakfast? I do. I do. I have this piece of salmon for breakfast. Whoa. I, have I think we're getting a little into your life right now. Like we're really <laughs> seeing like what happens behind the scenes. You don't lose 40 pounds by, I guess, eating a bagel for breakfast. <laughs> it's actually tasty. You know, it's actually tasty because in the United States, we feel like we have to have sweet for breakfast yeah. or bread, but that's not how it is. You know, it doesn't have to Fruit be loops. like that. Mm-hmm. In a lot of countries, they don't. So. Well, I find cereal at your house. I'm just curious. Probably not. Maybe your kids have some cereal. Yeah, you'll find it with, for my kids. And whenever they eat it, I always get mad that they're eating it, but it's so easy. So yeah. that's, that they do eat it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, okay, just one more question about the fish. Where do you buy this fish? Is it Whole Foods? I buy it from my supermarket. I mean, I have a supermarket right next to my house. They do have really good fish at my grocery store. But I mean, I would buy it from anywhere. I mean, I, I as long as it's like I'm getting the fresh fish. So the, the grocery store I go to, it has the, the quality is really good. Mm-hmm. And so after I started eating that, I was thinking I just can't go back. I have Whoa. to keep eating this. Okay, you've inspired me. <laughs> One thing I wish I had known about money growing up is... Uh, that we gain and grow by spending money. And, you know, it's like, I talked about this earlier, but it's also, you know, if I hadn't have spent, if I hadn't spent money on getting fitness training and nutritional training for myself, I wouldn't have ever become confident, you know, for me wearing a sleeveless shirt, walking outside in the summer and showing my upper arms, I wouldn't feel comfortable going to the beach. I wouldn't feel confident that I have control over what I'm eating or energy to play kids with my, or energy to play tag with my kids in the park. And so those are things that I had to pay for to learn. And I kept trying to do it on my own. But once I learned it, um, my life has, has, you know, the benefits are so amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. It's hard when you're, for your parents, you know, just in, in their defense too, like they had how many kids? Four. Four kids. That's tough. 
and, and also a very expensive part of the country. My parents were the same. You know, it was always about looking at price tags before anything else. We went to the sale rack first thing, you know, mm-hmm. all the way in the back, the clearance rack. Totally. I totally agree. It's like when you have four kids and you are, you know, living off a, a, a limited income, then you you do have to make these decisions. So, I mean, I definitely understand where it comes from. When I donate money, I like to give to blank because... I like to give to uh, women in need of health care and medical needs. And um, the reason is because, you know, women give so much to others. They are always, it's like we always feel that we have to help other people, that we have to help others first, especially, you know, our kids and families and our communities. But when it comes to our own needs, you know, we always put it aside. So when a woman is healthy, she can, she can be so much happier and she can help each other, you know, she can help others around her so much more. And so that's why, you know, that's one of the key areas that I, that I donate to. I love that. You know, it's one of those um, challenges as women. It's like, on the one hand, what makes us so amazing and wonderful is that we are such giving creatures, but sometimes we we, we give to ourselves last. And so it's very easy to um, to not be healthy, to be stressed out, to feel alone because you've put everyone else first. And so it's so great that you're doing that. And last but not least, I'm so money because... Because uh, losing weight transformed my life. Uh, It gave me more focus and confidence to grow my career, more energy to be active with my kids and more happiness every day. And now I'm helping other women transform their lives. Nagina, you showed up for this interview. I so appreciate you. Um, Thank you for not only being prepared, but really just doing the great work that you're doing. I'm, I'm happy that we were able to catch up and, and uh, laugh during this entire interview. You're so much fun to talk with. Thanks. Same to you, Farnoosh. It's been so amazing. I mean, I love talking about all of these different, um, you know, answering your questions, which really made me think quite a bit. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, great. Everyone, run to masalabody.com. You can follow Nagina on Twitter, at Nagina. Um, I'm really cool that you got your, your actual name on Twitter. You're one of yeah, the, the early adopters. I, was, mm-hmm. <laughs> I knew I had to get it. <laughs> Good job. Nagina, thank you so much. Congratulations and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you. You too. That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Nagina, and I hope you do, check out her site. It's masalabody.com. And as I mentioned, she's on Twitter at Nagina. All of this information over at SoMoneyPodcast.com, and there are also the transcript and the comments from this episode and all previous episodes. And continue submitting your questions. I love hearing from you. Every Saturday and Sunday, I dedicate the show to answering your financial questions and your career questions. And some of you don't have questions. You've got comments. And I just let the weekends be your opportunity to be heard. So if you have a question for me, hop on to SoMoneyPodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and there you can ask away. And by the way, if you want a free 15-minute money session with me, every week I give one free money session away to a lucky listener. That listener has to leave a review on iTunes and uh, every Saturday I select one new reviewer to receive that free 15-minute money session. So if you want to be in the drawing for that, uh, head to iTunes and leave a review and I thank you in advance. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks again to my guest, Nagina, and I hope your day is so money.